This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hi everybody, this is Doc. And this is Jukebox. And we're talking to you from the parking lot of a TGIF because we are excited about June 3rd. Alone, Season 8 coming out. Your favorite podcast hosts are back with your favorite show. Yes, you might know us from the John Freakin' Muir Pod, but we also have a, another podcast called Solitude, and it is the companion podcast to the hit survival uh, adventure series on the History Channel, Alone. Strap in, get comfortable, be prepared as we break down each episode every week, provide our expert analysis, and make some predictions about who we think is going to take the ultimate prize. We are, as a species, addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Jonathan Gottschall. I probably should check if see if there's a spare before I take it out of the yard. But you know, you know, live and let learn, right? Um. Yeah. So we get up the next morning, cook breakfast, um, go over. There is a spare. It's one of those fifty-mile clunkers and I'm at least 300 miles from you know trading this car back in um, so going to change the tire it's one of those little rinky dink jacks that you know can barely lift a you know a motorcycle finally get the thing up and um, I couldn't get the tire off it was just it was it was basically welded with rust to 
and I just at, at this point I was you know beyond <laughs> any kind of self-control in my brain and I'm thinking to myself how the hell am I gonna get this off because we can't walk 30 miles back to the nearest town um, well we could but I don't want to and uh, I so I go and find the biggest rock I can find and I'm just banging this tire as hard as I can I'm, you know, and I know I'm just I'm, I'm wrecking this rim I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Mirpod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Mirpod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the podcast, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. Today, we are talking to peak bagger and self-described world-class wise-ass, Spencer Morrissey. He hails from the Adirondacks, and besides being a wise-ass, is a writer, blogger and explorer welcome to the pod spencer hey thanks for having me man so in your time uh peak bagging have you picked up a trail name um actually oddly enough peak bagger was my first trail name um didn't really last long a couple of my friends have called me um the groundhog the hedgehog you know different things like that i don't really know where they came from but you know i definitely get some uh some interesting names, but nothing that's really stuck. Okay. So for, for the, the sake of today's episode, it is just Spencer then? Yeah, that works for me. Okay. I was looking yeah. forward to Hedgehog. That, that would have been a good well, one. You can call me that if you want. I mean, that, that's cool. I mean, everybody get a laugh out of that for sure. All right. I'm going with Hedgehog just because I really sure. like that. Okay. Sweet. All right. Hedgehog. And do you have like characteristics of a hedgehog or how did that uh, even pop up? <sighs> I don't know. It started out a hedgehog and it kind of like morphed into like woodchuck because I like to spend my time in the woods. So, you know, I mean, you could, you can go with woodchuck or hedgehog, however you want to do it. But uh, yeah, it just, it just morphed in the fact that it always seems like I'm picking wood out of my teeth because, you know, I'm going in the woods so much. So I think that's where woodchuck came from. Very good. And if I need to shorten the name, uh, would you, would you prefer uh, hedge, hedge or hog? Well, it's, um, probably better than woody um but uh <laughs> yeah you can go for it man you make it up as you go okay all right yeah. very good hey uh hedgehog have you listened to the podcast before i have a couple times yep okay very good so you know that we have a regular segment towards the end of the episode called the pro tip inside of the week and that's when i will turn to you and say hey hedgehog what is your what is your pro tip for this week? What little insight, piece of wisdom, trick can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? So don't be okay. surprised when we get there. Okay. All right. Very good. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Hedgehog, what is your must bring piece of gear 
And I'm not sure, have you done any multi-day hikes? I have done a few. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Very good. Yep. Yep. I'm doing more, more and more and more often, I guess. Uh, this year I plan to do many more, but you know, I don't really spend much time on trails. So uh, I guess I'd have to say my one go-to piece is going to have to be my Garmin 66, my GPS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unlike, you know, certain areas like the picture in your background there, not a lot of trees, but over here it's just packed with trees, you know? So it's a lot easier to have a GPS to find my way rather than, you know, map and compass, which does take a long time. Right. So, and the, the Garmin yeah. 66, is that an entry level or is that, is that, that has some bells and whistles on it? Yeah, it's, it's a little more, um, a little more advanced. I don't use a lot of the stuff that's in there. Um, but I like it. It's, it's super accurate and mm-hmm. dense force up here. It allows me to, to basically go where I need to and, um, and, and get back safely. And it, it just keeps the, the satellites um, nicely so that I don't have to, you know, worry about it glitching on me. Mm-hmm. So it is a, it is a more advanced, a little bit more of an advanced uh, newer model. Okay. Is that a watch or is it a, a, a communication handheld. device? Yeah, it's a handheld. Handheld, got it. Yep. Yeah, yep. We, we we have we have heard about the uh, and talked about the Garmin in Reach. Um, mm-hmm. And so, is this is the sixty six a step up from that? Um, I wouldn't say it's a step up. The In Reach is used quite a lot up here. Um, it's a, it's a very accurate one as well. I just um, I've had good luck with similar models to this 66 and I started with the 60 and went to the 62, 64, 66. So I just stuck with something I knew, um, rather than, uh, you know, going with, um, going with a satellite beacon, like in reach that I, I don't feel that I, that I really needed. Okay. So you probably go with the 68, the 70 and the 72 when they come out. Well, probably as long as my knees hold up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Very good. Hey, let's back up a little bit and uh, talk about your background. Where did you grow up? You know, what kinds of hobbies and sports uh, were you involved with? And how did you get involved with the outdoor adventure life? Uh, grew up in Long Lake, which isn't that far from where I am now in Jay. Um, went to a really small school, um, graduated with eight kids. Um, Central school, believe it or not, not some, not a Catholic school or anything small, but just a regular central school, small town. Um, started hiking probably back when I was around 19 uh, with my dad, you know, working on the, the bigger peaks of the Adirondacks and slowly started getting bored with walking on trails and decided I wanted to jump off into the, you know, into the woods and see what was out there that, you know, what I can find and found quite a bit of cool stuff. You know, it's uh pretty amazing what you can find when you get off the trails. Um, it started out not with a GPS, started out with more of a just map and compass and sometimes just the map and just went exploring and spent all day in the woods and came back out, got my feet wet a little bit more. And eventually I started going further and further and further out and, you know, and now it's just like second nature. Um, and eventually it became a guide, did some outdoor writing, uh, and haven't really stopped from there. Okay. So you, did I hear you right? You started off uh, kind of g- going on hikes with your dad and, and yeah. back, backpacking trips? Um, no, it's just day trips, basically. Day trips? He was, um, yep. Um, I got started a little older. He was a little older. So ended up being a lot of day trips mm-hmm. um, up the, you know, I'll put the call of 46 high peaks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure all the peaks that are over 4,000 feet, um, which, you know, a lot of people out West and, you know, Colorado and stuff laugh at the 4,000 foot, you know, cause they're so much smaller than what you got out there. But I'll tell you, they're just as rugged and, and I've, people have told me that they're just as hard, if not harder. Yeah. Now we've talked to a lot of, uh, long trail hikers and through hikers and a lot of the stories, you know, come from the trail. They're on the trail. They go from this point on the trail to that point on the trail. And mm-hmm. with the peak baggers, you guys go off trail. You, you may start on a trail, but at some point you turn off the trail and you're, you're climbing up these peaks. And so how did, how did that whole experience start from you from being on the trail to saying, Hey, let's, let's, uh, kind of expand into peak bagging and going off the trail and a little more uh, rugged path. Um, well, I was gifted a, a pretty good sized map set and I started looking at all the maps and comparing them to the trails. And there was all these peaks with no trails up on that. You know, nobody's ever, they, I'm sure they've explored them, but nobody talks about them. And I really wanted to see what was there. Um, so I, Basically, one day just said, you know what, that one's only half a mile off the trail. Let's go up and come back down. You're not going to get lost. Let's just see what's up there. And sure enough, it was spectacular. I mean, the views were amazing. Come back down, right back on the trail, walk back out a little bit further the next time, a little bit further the next time. It just became an addiction. And then my map addiction just became worse and worse. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm getting treatment, but it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is a common trait is this addictive personality, this obsessive uh, personality with through hikers and climbers and peak baggers, they, they, they get hooked and uh, it's, you know, say goodbye to normalcy. Every sport has them. Yeah. 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 And I don't foresee it ever changing. So. Right. Now, when you climb, do you climb with gear or is it, is it just, you know, what, what is the. What is the, uh, I guess, the, the grade of your, your climbing? It's, I use it climbing, but I guess really climbing isn't the, the correct word. It's, there's some mountaineering involved in some of them if you do them in the winter. Uh, we get some pretty harsh winters up here. So, you know, you're, you're talking minimal mountaineering gear um, in the winter, crampons, ice axe. Um, but when I talk about climbing, I mean, I'm talking about going from low elevation to high elevation, which just might simply just be, you know, hiking in the woods. Um, but I just call it climbing because essentially that's what I'm doing. I'm just not, you know, going vertical. So. Right. Yeah. There's all kinds of climbing. There's the Alex Honnold climbing and then, and then there's, there's other. Yeah. You're not going to be doing that. Never spent the night on a portal edge. Nope. Nope. Don't plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> smart man. Very smart. Yeah. Have you had any training in, in climbing or mountaineering? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I've done, I've, I've done stuff like Rainier. Um, so I've had some, a little bit of uh, glacier climbing um, out West, um, but not much. I've done a little bit of ice climbing here. Uh, I've done a little bit of bouldering, but it never really caught my interest as much as, you know, as climbing to a summit and, and getting that satisfaction and feeling of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned the 46 high peaks, are those the 46 4,000 footers in the Adirondacks? Yeah, they, uh, 46 that are 4,000 feet and above. Um, okay. Mount Marcita being the highest at 50, 52. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a it, it started out as everybody kind of starts out doing the 46 high peaks. It's it's a it's a climbing challenge. You know, you get a patch and all that, and everybody gets hooked into that. And 
for me, it just went further. You know, it went into climbing the 100 highest peaks in the Adirondacks to, you know, the next 100 to the next 100. And it's just, it just keeps going and going. And, and now I don't even care if it's on a list. I don't care how high it is. Is You know, it's, I just climb to the high point of whatever mountain I want to go to and, and call it good. And so you're, you're currently in the Adirondacks. You're, you live in that area. Yeah. Where, are you on the edge? Are you right in the middle? I mean, how geographically, where, where are you exactly? Um, I'm about 30 minutes from Vermont. So I'm on the Eastern edge of the Adirondacks. Um, so I'm pretty much right in the high peaks region, um, Eastern Adirondacks. Um, I work right in the high peaks region. Um, so I'm not, I've pretty much got mountain views out my yard, you know, so, which is nice. So it, it pretty centralized to wherever I want to go. And, you know, the, the, the park is 6 million acres. So I'm, I mean, it's, it's out. Um, so there's a lot to explore. Okay. And how many Adirondack summits are there? Um, named ones. There's probably around 1600. I think I tallied up somewhere around there. But I doesn't even matter to me if they have a name now at this point. It's just I just go to explore the stuff that's um, I call it named and notable peaks. And my goal is to to top out on at least twenty five hundred different ones. So, and where are you in that uh, adventure? How many How many have you done so far? Uh, seventeen hundred and fifty. Fifteen. Sorry, seventeen hundred and fifteen. Wow. And how yeah. how long has this adventure taken you? Um, quite a few years. I've went on a, a streak of just taking a break from getting smacked in the face by tree branches, you know, so I, uh, I took a little hiatus there. So it was a few years that I didn't, you know, do as many, but I typically get around a hundred to 200 peaks a year. Um, so, you know, if, if I have an off year, it's like 50 peaks for a year. So, um, pretty much that's, that's my, my go-to for my, my days off and, you know, all my friends enjoy it. You know, my wife enjoys it. Um, my dog, you know, so it's, it's pretty much, it's, it's what we do. I was going to ask, I was going to ask if there was a, a Mrs. Hedgehog and what she thought of this experience. She loves it. Yeah. We, we both have a blast with it. Um, you know, we both have our, our moments of what I call, we hit our tree quota for the day, which means we've, we've fought our way through enough trees for the day. And we, you know, we both get on the grumpy side sometimes, but then, you know, you just, everything is always better when you're out. It's always a good, it's always a good story. So. Right. Now just doing some simple math here. If you did 200, 200 summits in a year, there's only, there's only 52 weekends. So how does, how does that work? Uh, Multiple peaks in a day. Um, or, you know, sometimes I go, I'll go twice a week. Sometimes I go before work. I'll go on a short one before work of, you know, eight, 10 miles before work and then go to work for the day and, um, you know, and try to stay awake, I guess, <laughs> you know, it, it gets tough when you, when you, you know, work in an office, but, um, but yeah, I, I try to go as much as I can. You know, I, like I said, I live pretty close to a lot of peaks, so it's, it's pretty easy to just get out and, and go explore something new. Right. And what, what do you do to pay the bills? Um, well, I, uh, I, I sell pictures of myself. Um, you know, like I'm doing right now. I'm, um, I expect the check in the mail anytime, but, um, but no, I'm, uh, 
I'm an emergency dispatcher for the forest rangers. Oh, so, okay. So basically I, I sit on the other end of the line when a emergency call comes in for hikers or climbers or something and they're lost or distressed or, or something along that line and um, kind of help coordinate the, uh, the rescue efforts. Any exciting dispatch stories? Um, there's, there's a million of them. I, and I, you know, obviously it's one of those things that I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, but you know, there's, there's some, there, there was a, you know, last year lady lost on, um, Allen mountain for, for three days in the winter. Um, she was found in good condition. She huddled underneath the rock. Uh, we had two young kids uh, a couple of years ago who were lost on Algonquin. They um, got into a whiteout, um, ended up spending two nights basically huddled in a, in a tree well um, for, and they ended up getting a helicopter rescue, which I highly recommend you check that helicopter rescue out on YouTube. It's, it's pretty badass. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's just, you know, simple stuff that people are going out without the right gear. Um, going back to the first question, you, you know, what's that one piece of gear you always need? Like you'd think it'd be a headlamp or something like that, but the amount of people that don't think it gets dark, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. You know, not water or stuff like that. You know, a lot of them are pretty simple, but you know, sometimes you get some pretty big stuff. Um, probably the biggest rescue I was part of was a 36 hour rescue in the high peaks region. Uh, a guy who broke his leg um, on one of the peaks. Um, worst winter conditions you could even imagine. And uh, it was a 36 hour rescue. Right. Have you ever read The Last Season by Eric Blem? I have not. So it is the story of a backcountry ranger uh, who has close to 30 years experience in the Sierras in, in Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. And uh, he, he's assisted on you know many rescues. He's found a lot of people. And then one year, 1996, he goes missing. And so this, the book is an incredible book. And it details the the search for Randy Morganson and and what what happened to him. So really, oh. really, really good read. And just from you know the things that you're describing, I think it'd be right up your alley. Yeah, I've I've always said that do not come and rescue me. I do not want to be part of the the rescue reports. It's like if I'm not home the next day, wait another day. You know, I'll uh, I'll make it out of the woods. So. Is, that your, is that your pro tip already? No, I would I would don't recommend that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, you mentioned that uh, that you're a writer as well. So, what 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 kinds of stuff have you written? Um, well, I wrote a, a, a lot of them are trail guides. Um, well, I guess you really can't. Some of them are trail guides. One of them is a backcountry ski book. Um, Adirondack trail skier. Um, another one, Adirondack trail runner. Uh, I was into trail running for quite a long time. Um, decided to not do that and focus more on, on, on climbing the peaks than, than running, you know, running trails. Um, and, uh, did a photography book for, you know, somebody asked me to do a photography book cause I was into that. And another one, I, the, the one that's my, I don't know, I guess you could quote unquote claim to fame is called the other 54, which is uh, the book on the Adirondack hundred highest. Um, that's in uh, third edition right now. The other 54. So there's 46 high peaks over, over 4,000 feet. Yep. And the other 54 are the ones that didn't, didn't hit 4,000, but are yep. the make up the top 100. Right. Exactly. Got it. Yep. 
And, and a lot of those are bushwhacks. Say that again, sorry. A lot of those are a lot of those don't have trails. Most of them don't have trails. So that's where you encounter your fill of trees. Oh boy. You could say that for sure. It's it's thick. Just imagine walking through Walmart on Black Friday and uh, multiplying that by ten. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you used to be a trail runner and what, what made you uh, focus on peaks instead of trail running? Cause that is a, a popular pastime across the country, trail running. All right. I've talked to a number of folks who, who really, really love that. Yeah. I did it more for just recreational purposes. I got into a couple of small, like five K's and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm by no means built for it. Um, I've, so I've just, I don't know. My body was just starting to to feel the aches and pains of of the pounding, and you know, a couple pretty good headers coming down hills. That just you know, I was like, it just I'm going to save my body. You know, I'm not getting any younger. You know, so I'm going to you know keep going as much as I can. I just do it a little slower. Right, right. There's a whole range of uh, a whole spectrum of trail races. Right. There's there's the five yeah. Ks that you you've talked about. I've talked to uh, Gabe and Kevin who did the Moab 240, which is a 240 mile uh, trail race. And yeah. then, then there's, I think even a notch higher than that, probably the toughest race on the planet, the Berkeley marathons. I, I couldn't even fathom. No, I think the most I've, I think I've run is 10 miles. And uh, that was, that was pretty painful by the end. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, uh, well, I would love to run through Moab. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Have you heard about the Barkley Marathons? I've heard of them. I don't know much about them, but I have oh. heard of them. Okay. So in addition to the last season, I expect you to be writing all this down as I'm telling you this, because this, this is good stuff. Okay. Uh, last season by Eric Blem. And then you yeah. have to check out these two YouTube documentaries on uh, the Barkley Marathons. And, and the titles will give you some insight into what type of race this is. So okay. The first title is called The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young. <laughs> and the second documentary uh, is the story of Gary Robbins in his quest to complete the Bar- Barkley Marathons called Where Dreams Go to Die. Oh, man. And so th- watching those two, that is time well spent. It is incredible. It's basically a race uh, – in, in the in the wilderness on a, a single loop that is anywhere between 20 and, and 30 miles long. Nobody really knows. And mm-hmm. you have to do it five times. And there's all kinds of little quirks and details uh, surrounding this race. It's, it's probably one of the most coveted races to get into. It's a, one of the hardest races to get into. And uh, just a, a really, really quirky deal. And just uh, devastatingly hard. It's been in existence for 30 years. And there's only been 15 finishers of five complete loops because you have a 60 hour time limit. Oh, okay. 60 hours. That's not much time. Yeah. You have to do (laughs) Yeah. 12, 12 hours each loop. And because of that, you're doing the loop, uh, during the daytime, during the nighttime and he, and the race organizer, he switches directions on you too. So you may go, you know, do a loop in the day clockwise, and then you have to go out in the, in the night and go counterclockwise. So basically it's a whole new course and now it's in the dark. So it is, no, it's, there's, it's in, there's no trail. It's just no, in the wilderness. Just in the wow. wilderness. 
and there wow. are mar- there are waypoints and markers that you have to get to and bring back proof that you were you were there. That's intense. Yeah. 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 And I've well, talked to, I've talked to a few people who have been uh, competitors in the Barkley marathons. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with with the topic, as you can probably tell. But, yeah, yeah. You know, some of some of these competitors were world class athletes, world class trail runners. I mean, just doing incredible things. And the ones that I have talked to, not a one of them has finished. So oh, that kind of wow. gives you some insight into how how difficult it is. Sure, you said 15 finishers in the last 30 years or something right. like that. That's crap. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, but but we digress. Sorry, little, yeah, little, little that's all right. Back there, that's good. Good stuff, that's though. Cool. Yeah, it is. All right. So, how about outside of the Adirondacks? Any any uh, other experiences in peaks around the U.S. or around the world? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a high pointer, so I like to visit the high points of every state and do a few mountains in each state as I'm as I'm going through. You know, if they if they have them, um, as you can imagine, some of them don't really have much. Um, but I've uh, visited 39 of the 50 high points. Um, plan to go back. I'm planning to go to Death Valley this year to, uh, you know, do a bunch, check some stuff out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, south side of the country, unfortunately, I'm I'm still pretty green. Um, did visit uh, family in South Korea that were stationed there, so we, ended up, we climbed a half a dozen peaks in in South Korea. Which was which was pretty cool. That was a different experience, for sure. Um, if if you think the mountains are busy over here, it's just it's just it's five five tenfold over there. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. They're, the hiking over there is 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 like a serious pastime. I was really really surprised. I mean, literally waiting in line to go up the mountain. It, it, it was it was it was it was weird. It was like it was like the Everest step on every mountain it was it was crazy so i mean it very enjoyable a very good experience um but was definitely glad to be back here where there's much fewer people so that's right well one of the reasons we get out there out into the woods and onto top of peaks is to avoid the crowds yes and uh so yeah crowded hiking venues that's that's something else now you said 39 of 50 have you made it out to whitney yet I have not made it out to Whitney. Um, that is, uh, next year is either I'm going to go back to Rainier and bring my wife to Rainier. Um, or Whitney also tossed around Whitney and hood. Um, so she's, she's at 25. So I've kind of started, I started over. Um, so picking a couple of mine here and a couple of hers there, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, Whitney's on the, on the, on the short list. Okay. Now Whitney's not that far away from death Valley. So could you combine the two? Yeah, we just didn't have enough time. Yeah. Okay. I, I I don't like to visit someplace and just go and leave. I like to I like to spend some time there and just just kind of breathe the whole thing in and do a few mountains and you know go to the neighboring towns and try the local foods and the, the breweries and wineries and stuff. You know, to make it a whole trip, not just to just to go out and bag a peak and leave. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not one of the typical, you know, I say typical, but peak bagger has been one of those derogatory terms where it's just people that just like to go touch the top and leave. And I, I like to become one with the mountain and, you know, and just be up there and, and, and know that I'm part of a much bigger thing, you know? 
Now you mentioned wine or beer. So what's the go-to beverage on top of the, on top of the mountain? Beer. Beer. And do you have a, do you have a, a special, a, a particular type of beer? No, I've, I actually, so in the wintertime, it's typically like a dark beer, like a stout or something oh, like okay. that. When it's, when it's, when it's hot out and stuff, it's definitely like an IPA or a, yeah. you know, a pale ale or something, but I don't really have any specific beer that I like the most. You know, I, I love some micro brews. I love supporting micro brews and up here we have a, a lot, there's like 450 micro breweries in New York state. So we've got a lot to choose from. You're, you're an equal opportunity beer drinker. Exactly. Support, yeah. the, support the, support the locals. Very good. I'm an IPA guy. The, 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 the stouts, I don't, hmm, I, I just don't know. I don't know about stouts, but. <laughs> They're good when it's cold. Okay. Very Too good. When it's hot. And you know what? I've decided that you have to be hedgehog because I've got, I got down in my notes here, hedgehog, the high pointer. It just, it just rolls no. off the tongue. So. Yep, it does. Yep. There we go. Yep. <laughs> We're going to live it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. So you're uh you've got some goals you've got uh you want to you want to summit all 25 or, or 2500 of the adirondacks yeah you want to hit 5000 summits worldwide you know worldwide before i can't do it anymore yet that would be like the ultimate goal um is that gonna happen you know it's a goal um you know i i probably i'll hit 2000 this year um overall peaks um throughout the country mm-hmm and, uh, you know, I, it, I, it's a doable goal, I think. It's a doable goal. Okay. And all, all 50 high points in the U.S. Is that, a, is that a third goal? Yeah, that's a, you know, I, I would love to get up to, uh, you know, to Alaska and, you know, get Denali. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, it, it's not my, that's not my overall goal. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely high on my list, but. There's so much cool stuff out there that to just focus on one thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And I like to, I love to go to Vermont and hike in the green mountains. I love to go to New Hampshire, you know, Appalachian mountains, the white mountains, Maine, and the Northeast. I just love it. It's, it's, they're, they're tough peaks and they've got a lot to offer, you know? Okay. Let's take the Adirondacks out of the equation. What's, yeah. what's your, what's your favorite set of mountains to hike other than the Adirondacks? Other than the Adirondacks? Oh boy. I can tell you what my favorite state was to hike in at this point is okay. Utah for sure. Um, Utah was a, was a blast. I mean, there's so much, I mean, we went down for two weeks and I mean, only just like just dusted the area. I mean, it was, there's so much to do down there. Um, the people were, were fantastic. It had a really amazing vibe. Uh, everybody was in a good mood. Everybody was like living off each other's adventures. It was just, you go to the bar and you just sit down and you start talking to somebody that you didn't think you'd have anything in common with, but yet, you know, you do. Yeah. And it's just like, that's the, the, the climbing world and the, you know, the, the hiking world. It's like, everybody's got something in common, you know, which, which is great. And, uh, to feed off that vibe of one another is so refreshing. And especially in like times of now, that are things that are going on. It's just, it's nice to know that's still out there. Yeah. And what country and find it. And where is the best climbing in Utah? Uh, we had a, we had, actually, when I said Moab, I, we really loved that area down there. Um, okay. So we didn't spend a lot of time in a lot of places, but then I, 
I really feel uh, the Uintas were were fantastic. Uh, the peaks around Salt Lake City, which I I'm, I'm flaking on the on the on the mountain range near near Salt Lake City, but that that areas are just just fantastic. Um, and probably I, I would say the Uintas were were the most impressive for me. Yeah, we've heard about the Uintas a couple times on the on the podcast, and they sound incredible. It sounds very similar to the Sierras. Yeah, yeah, that's actually what they're compared to generally, from what I understand. I have not been in the Sierras um, yet. Oh, you, you, boy, just you wait. Just you wait. Yeah, there I are know. a whole batch of peaks to climb in the Sierras. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I've been, my mouth's been watering for a while. As, you know, you remind me a little bit of the story of Norman Clyde, who was a principal in Independence, California, which is a town on the outskirts of the, the uh, Eastern Sierras. And he would live for the weekends. He would you know, do his job Monday through Friday, and then he would escape into the Sierras every weekend. And uh, until he ran into a little bit of trouble with, with, uh, with the town and some, some students, and he, he eventually, long story short, got fired from his job as principal. And then he became a, you know, a full-time wanderer in the Sierras and did all kinds of uh, first ascents and mountain rescues and just quite the, the hiking and climbing resume. Uh, but like you lived on, you know, adjacent to or right next, right, right in uh, mm-hmm. uh, mountain range and just all, all kinds of climbing. He, that's what he lived for. So. Yeah. He was like one of the first dirt bags. That's right. That's right. You're familiar with Norman Clyde. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 There's a, really good documentary on him um which was fantastic i can't i'm sure it was it's been a while now since i've seen it but yeah i'm very familiar with him that, that whole i guess that whole dirtbag thing just has a lure you know yes yep very good and speaking of utah our our the friend of the podcast uh ginger balls triple crowner he is currently in utah on the hey duke trail have you heard about the hey duke trail Hey Duke Trail. I have heard of the Hey Duke Trail. I don't know why I've heard of it. Um, have to refresh me on that one. Yeah, it's an insane trail that goes through all five national parks in in Utah. And to call it a trail, I guess in in some cases, is, you know, you have to put trail in air quotes because there's not a whole lot of trail. You have to uh, do a lot of navigating yourself and saying, okay, I've got to get to this point. How do I get there? And uh, there's a documentary on. I'm not sure if it's YouTube or Amazon called figuring it on the figuring it out on the Hey Duke trail. That kind of gives you some insight into that, but you know, he, he had done ginger balls had done the triple crown and had wanted to uh, do the Hey Duke. And uh, he's, he's posting some stuff on Instagram these days from his, his current trip. And uh, he says it's, it's pretty brutal, but nice. yeah, he's loving it. He slept in a yeah. cave. He slept in a cave last night. No, well, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I sleep in a cave up here, it's uh, it's because I don't know where I am. <laughs> so, not a lot of caves up here, though. Yeah, how about bears? Are there bears in those caves? Black bears, and some of them probably, but yeah. you know, they're they're just big old pussy cats. Okay, like big raccoons, yeah. huh? But basically, yeah, yeah. They don't. They're they're afraid of us more than we are of them. Well. You know, I'm, I've grown up around them. I mean, living where I, I live, they're, they're everywhere, you know, so it's not a big deal. 
Hedgehog, the high pointer, is not afraid of bears. Nope. Okay. Not at all. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into some of uh, Hedgehog's stories from his uh, various outings around the country and the world. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. I'm Eric Flem, the author of The Last Season, and you're listening to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Welcome back. We are talking to world-class wise-ass and high-pointer hedgehog about his, uh, his adventures around the country and, and uh, beyond. And I thought we'd, we'd devote this segment to some of your stories that you alluded to when you and I were kind of messaging back and forth uh, in preparation for this episode. And I have to tell you that from the titles of some of these stories, I, I can't wait to hear about them. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's start off with, let's, let's go back to South Korea. Yeah. Sure. Any, uh, any stories from, from your, your time on the crowded trails in South Korea? South Korea is just, uh, like I said, it was, it was an amazing place. Everybody was, you know, they're super friendly. And I, at times I'll shave my head, you know, much shorter. And when I get to the point where I, I get really hot and everything else is so cool around me, the steam will just roll off my head like, you know, like a teapot. And I'm climbing up the mountain and, and, all the, you know, all the Koreans that are on the trail are, they're pointing and laughing. I mean, I can't figure out for the life of me what, what's going on. Maybe it's because I'm so much, I'm, I'm really tall. I'm, I'm the only guy in the whole country with a beard. I mean, I don't know what it is, you know. And eventually I finally realized somebody actually, you know, was, was speaking English. And they would tell me about how my head was steaming and my body was just steaming like I was on fire. And But they're, you know, they're super friendly about it. And it's just... It's it's just such a great experience going there. I, I aside from being so busy, it, it really is a um, a good top notch place to just I guess dive into um, to dive into the I don't know how how to put it, but the the, the way of life over there. Um, tourism over there is is, is huge. Um, we flew down from the mainland down to the high point. And that was one of the busiest places I've ever, I've ever been, um, you know, 300 people on the summit of the high point, um, was a staircase most all the way up for a solid over three miles. And, you know, it's, it's totally different than it is over here where, you know, we have mud and rocks and roots to hike over. And, you know, over there it's, it's pretty laid out. They, they take care of their trails really well. Um, I guess one of my favorite things about South Korea was when we were over on Jeju Island is going down to the coast and there's these, these, these women that will go out and dive every day for fresh seafood and bring it back up on the rocks on the beach and serve it to you literally within minutes of, of catching it. So they, it's it's raw seafood. They they chop it up with all their special stuff, and they and you you sit down there with this platter of, of food right on the beach of the freshest seafood you'll ever you'll ever have. 
um, some of it good, some of it maybe not quite so appetizing, but you know, the, the experience is, is 90% of it, you know, and, and it was, it, it's just, it's such a cool, a cool experience for sure. Um, and it would, I would go back in a heartbeat. Nice. Now I would have yeah. thought that you were, you were leading up to a possible trail name from the steam coming off your head and your body. I mean, what are, what are some possible trail names that we could, we could gather from that? Boy, I don't know. Um, Hothead. Yeah. I've been called that before. <laughs> That's nothing new. <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I, I bet there's gotta be something out there. McSteamy. Steamy. McSteamy. McSteamy. Oh, there we go. I'm going to change my name. McSteamy. That's kind of like a Grey's Anatomy, I think, uh, reference there. Oh, yeah. He's got nothing on me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, this is McLovin, right? uh... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) McLovin, McSteamy, McDreamy. Okay. Very good. It's a good segue. Good segue to our next story, which uh, is River Nudist Outing. What, What in the world is that all about? So there's a lot of river swimming and stuff up here. And um, there's one area that, to my knowledge now, that nudists like to go on. But when I was, I don't know, I think I was 19 or 20 hiking with my dad, you know, we're, we had no idea. So we're coming down along the trail, coming off one of the high peaks, and we hear all this ruckus and stuff over on the river. So, you know, the trail goes right by the river and, and I would look over there and then there's eight or 10 not so attractive nudists just hanging, hanging around in the water, going down the rock slide, you know, and it was, it was one of those things where I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm covering my eyes. I'm like, I'm embarrassed. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope they don't see us, you know, like they don't care. Um, <laughs> here goes my dad. He walks over basically starts up a conversation with the first person he sees like he doesn't even care like he doesn't even like it's like I don't know I mean it's like he's just one of those guys that you know I can hopefully not I can be like that you know to the point where I can just walk over and just talk to somebody like that but it's like I'm thinking to myself can I get you a towel you know <laughs> he's over there having a full-on conversation you know is that just the kind of guy he was I mean just uh yeah. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. He he didn't care as long as he could get a good conversation out of it. He would he would talk to anybody, and uh, that really um, that was one of the that's like one of the stories I remember the most about my first few years of, of hiking is, is is running into that group. So, so you ran into them more than once, or uh, I've well, knowing that they're there, you you know when you go back hiking in that area, it's it's pretty good possibility they're gonna somebody's gonna be there. So, so you, you just kept going back to that area. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah, all the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that never the truth? Joined in. I never, never joined in. Isn't that the truth about, uh, you know, nudist beaches or nudist areas? It's the, you know, it's the, uh, really, you know, it's not what you expect. It's, it's the, you know, <laughs> it's not most attractive world. people. <laughs> we don't have them up here. So it was, it was really surprising. It's not like it's Florida and it's warm. Right? These are, 55 degree rivers <laughs> i guess there's not much to see when it's 55 degrees and you're jumping in the river but uh, <laughs> uh, this has turned into a seinfeld episode yeah pretty much <laughs> oh, All so right. yeah that, uh, that, that was definitely an interesting day <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Hey, how about, uh, let's see, this next one says uh, Nevada flat tire. So road trips are, like I was saying, high pointing road trips are, have been something I've done. And we, we went on two back to back Albuquerque flat tire, middle of nowhere. No, no story behind that one. And then Nevada's flat tire was just an absolute nightmare. Um, Nevada high point, we drive, we, we fly into, we fly into Vegas um, drive up toward the high point. It's getting dark. We're having a hard time figuring out where this is. Um, we get, we get lost a couple times. There's no cell phone coverage. And all of a sudden the, the, the flat, the low tire pressure light comes on, on this, on the rental. And I'm like, this is just got nightmare written all over it. Um, so drive a little bit for a little bit further and I get out and I check the tire and it's definitely getting slow leak. Um, so we decided to just camp for the night and we just basically pulled over on the side of the road, this dirt road, um, put up our tent in the prickers and the, you know, in the sagebrush and just said, I'll change the tire in the morning when I can see, um, get up in the morning. Sure enough, flat as, flat as any, flat as a pancake. Um, not going anywhere, no cell phone coverage. Think of myself, God, I hope there's a spare um, worthy in this, in this thing. Wait a and second. You didn't, you didn't check and see if there's a spare the night before? No, I didn't. No. You said, man, you said forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sleep. We'll take care of this in the morning. Yep. Yep. Didn't it, check. Didn't. It wouldn't have made any difference, right? I mean, what, what could you have done the night before if there was no spare, right? That's true. I probably just wouldn't have slept. I probably would have been pissed all night. Um, I probably should check if see if there's a spare before I take it out of the yard. But, you know, you know, live and let learn, right? Um, yeah, so we get up the next morning, cook breakfast, um, go over. There's a spare. It's one of those 50-mile clunkers, and I'm at least 300 miles from, you know, trading this car back in. Um, so going to change the tire, it's one of those little rinky-dink jacks that, you know, can barely lift a, you know, a motorcycle. Finally get the thing up and um, I couldn't get the tire off. It was just, it was, it was basically welded with rust to, and I just, at, at this point I was, you know, beyond <laughs> any kind of self-control in my brain. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to get this off? Because we can't walk 30 miles back to the nearest town. Um, well, we could, but I don't want to. And uh, I, so I go where I find the biggest rock I can find, and I'm just banging this tire as hard as I can. I'm, you know, and I know I'm just I'm, I'm wrecking this rim. I'm thinking to myself, these guys are going to be pissed at me, pay for the rim. And eventually the thing finally pops off, and, uh, and I get the thing. I get, the, I get going. Yeah, we got the, the little 50-mile tire on. And I said, you know what, I'm not going back now. We're going to go We're gonna go over here, and we're going to climb. We're going to hike and get this off my mind. We're going to relax be in the woods and so we drove another 10 miles on this dirt road of disaster and finally got there and i'm thinking i'm driving like five miles an hour and just hoping to god i don't get another flat tire because i'm screwed and i'm going in the wrong direction but uh yeah that was that was white knuckle driving for what 300 miles back to where we could get another car it was it was crazy on a 50 mile tire. How did the tire look when you, after the 300 miles? Much left of that tire, man. It was, I've never seen one of those tires worn down so much. 
because there's a lot of throughway driving too. So I'm, you know, you get what 70 mile, 80 mile an hour speed limits on those throughways, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving like you know Aunt Jane going down there at 50 miles an hour. And it's like, I, I, what am I gonna do? My flashers on for you know four hours while I'm driving back down to Nevada to put a or down in Las Vegas to get a new car. But yeah, so. Lesson you learn. Always check to make sure you got a spare, and uh, expect the the worst to happen. And just I guess just just deal with it. I guess, but man, that was frustrating. Now you said we a couple times. Who was with you oh, on that wife. trip? Now my wife always goes on the trips. So we always uh, we're always high pointing together. So she's always she's always the the calm one. Usually the calm one of the group. So. Um, this so the whole world doesn't implode, you know, when something like this goes wrong. Um, so she, uh, she kept me a little, a little more calm. I was going to ask if she had any sage advice for you during that whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Good pun. Uh, sage <laughs> advice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the sage did all good. I'll tell you. Very good. Uh, I- I, I love the sequence of that story because, okay, you have the flat tire, you pull over, yep. you set up camp, you go to sleep. You don't even look at anything else. You're just, going to, you're just setting up the tent, going to sleep. And the next morning, you get up and you make breakfast first. And then you check on the tire and if you have a yep. spare or not. So that's, that's, that's the way to do it. I, I always do better on uh, good night's sleep and, uh, you know, some food. So, it, uh, definitely. I mean, it was, if I tried it, an hour ago or two hours before that, it wouldn't have made any difference. So, That's right. That's right. Very good. All right. Hey, let's go to Virginia. And I see red lights in Virginia is the next uh, story yeah. topic. It's just, it, we got lost in Virginia when we were high pointing. This was a long time ago before I was, you know, before I met my wife and um, I went down with a, a friend and we're, we're driving, we did like 10 high points on this trip. We went, all the way down the East coast and then back up. And for some reason I was super tired, but in Virginia, I ran the same stop sign three times. We just kept going in circles and I ran the stop sign and I, I was arguing with him. I was like, I, I, there was no stop sign there, you know? And second time I were driving back around trying to find a hotel and I ran the same one again. And I ran it three times apparently. It's still not 100% sure I believe them, but they, they keep telling me I, I ran a stop sign, the same stop sign, three times. So, yeah, not not very anecdotal story, but, you know, kind of one of those things where when you're tired, <laughs> you know, your mind just kind of goes in different directions. I thought this story was going to go in a whole different direction. Uh, not the red light district. No, no, nothing good like that. I could, I should have went to get something up though, man. Well, well, it does say red light. And so you're saying stop sign. So I didn't expect stop, stop sign part, yeah, of the, stop part of the story. Yeah, no. And I wasn't thinking red light district either. I was thinking red, like lights in the sky type of stuff out in Virginia. Oh, well that would make sense in Virginia. I thought that was more along, you know, like was that Arizona? True. But, yeah. That, yeah, no, and nothing, nothing crazy like that. But now you got me thinking. I should have made something up. Red light district in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've got a story titled "Red Lights in Virginia," it can't be about stop signs. So, no, it'd be more like banjos. Isn't that Virginia? Right? Is that Virginia? Sure, I'll go with that. Okay, great. Yep, very good. 
Okay. What is a, what is a spruce trap? Um, like on the West coast, I guess you guys call them tree wells, um, where the snow gets trapped on top of the tree branches and leaves these hollows underneath. And you just, when you, some skiers will ski into them head first and can't get out. Never get so, out. That's right. Yeah. Never, you know, up here they're called spruce traps cause they're always on spruce trees or balsam trees or something along that line. And up here we've got some doozies. I mean, they're not, you know, the 10, 12, 15 footers like you have, but you know, they're definitely over, over, over your head. Um, and I'm, I'm a bigger guy, 225, 230, um, six foot two. And, and if I can get buried in a spruce trap, you know, they're damn big. And, uh, and I'm always prone to them because I'm way more than most everybody I hike with. And I just, I honestly just need to recruit bigger hiking partners and send them first. But, you know, I just, I just haven't been able to do it. Um, but I've, I've been in a couple where, you know, you fall through and you basically get to walk in a circle around the tree until you eventually spiral out of it. Um, and I've, I've had some that are just about the size of, you know, you can probably see them from the, the space shuttle. They're just, they're just so big. Um, is yeah. that how, is that how you do it? Is that how you get out? You, you walk in a circle around the tree until you, you yeah. spiral up and out. That sometimes I've had to do that. Yeah. It's like, it, it works, you know, you stamp the snow down as you, as you work your way up and eventually you can just hoist yourself out. Um, that, that's, that's how I do it. Other people try to get their snowshoes off and, 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 and climb out, but they're exhausting. Um, they're absolutely exhausting. I, we got um, hiking over in the Green Mountains. Oh, boy, it's probably 10 years ago now. Um, we did lose the trail. I ended up coming down the side of the mountain. We had this idea that we were here, but we actually weren't there. We were over here, and we ended up bushwhacking for five or 10 miles in the dark. And I, I probably I counted, I lost count at about 30 spruce traps for me coming down off of that mountain it was the most exhausting time of my life and then we ended up popping out on the road five miles from the car which was which was daunting in itself the, the fact of having to walk five miles of pavement in winter boots was not was not pleasing at all so it was a uh, you know spruce traps are, are my nemesis for sure okay yeah. watch out for those spruce traps all right. And then what, what happened in, uh, in 2020 with, with was it your health or your, My health, yeah. your health? Okay. No. Yeah. So I basically had undiagnosed something was going on with, with my joints, um, where it was basically stopping me from doing any major hiking or mountain climbing and, uh, tested by, you know, I had 30, or more vials of blood pulled from me and tests and x-rays and CAT scans and, and just a large amount of stuff done just to try to figure out what this is. And you now everything's pointing back to you know, arthritis and stuff, but yet it's not arthritis. It's not this. It's, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, my hiking career over, you know, am I, am I, am I stuck? Am I screwed? I mean, I barely got any peaks in this, you know, and uh, you know, fighting to just climb 2000 feet of elevation was just it was, the next day was just misery. And that night was just unbearable in bed, you know? Um, and, uh, eventually I just on a whim just decided, no, I'm just gonna, just gonna 
take Claritin, see if it's an allergy to something. And um, now, you know, it's like all of a sudden I'm almost like back to square one and I'm, I'm fine. Um, but it did have some little lasting effects. So I'm not quite as fast as I was, but um, ended up being just some, probably just some random allergy to something. And they don't know what. So it's just like one of those weird, another way of 2020 to kick your ass, you know? You know, they I was tested for COVID. I was treated for COVID. I was treated for Lyme. I was treated for everything under the sun that would be possible joint issues. And it was just uh, one failure after another, after another, after another. So. So how many doctor visits and how many medical bills did you rack up trying to figure out what this was? And then uh, you just said to yourself, I'm going to take some Claritin, see if that helps. And you, you figured it out. Yeah. I didn't. Luckily, I've got really good insurance, so there wasn't much for doctor bills, but 30, 40 doctor visits. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, it just it was getting to the point where it was, um, it, was, it, was, it was unbearable. It was like I can't even – a couple of times I had a hard time getting out of bed and walking down the stairs, you know. So it, was, it came on just like that. It wasn't like it was one of these slow, progressive things and – so hopefully it's all behind me now at this point. <laughs> Just some stupid easy fix that we could have started with, which, which, which was kind of upsetting. So. Yeah, n- knock on wood, hedgehog. Knock on wood. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. What uh, what other stories do you have for us? Oh man. Um, I guess. I guess everybody's got one of those I've been overweight stories a lot of people do right you know so it's more of a Rainier is what got me to really really start thinking about I need to stay in better shape so I can do this more and uh, so the luck of the draw a buddy of mine said hey we got an opening to go to Rainier somebody had to back out Are you interested and I'm like I'm interested. I just don't know if I can do it. And it's like, you know, when are you going? Oh, we're going in June. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, that's a year. I've got a year to get ready to do this. So I joined the gym. Um, and at that time, it was the Atkins diet, which was the, the big diet of the time, which actually worked amazing for me. Um, and uh, I would fill my backpack up. I went to the gym. I got on the treadmill, started slowly lifting the, uh, you know, the grate on it. And, you know, it looked like a fool because I'm in my hiking boots on a treadmill with a huge backpack on, but you know what, the, the weight started to come off and that was the motivation I needed. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've still got the wicked sweet tooth, you know, so it's just one of those things you gotta, you know, have under control. And, but man, let me tell you, it's, you just need that one motivation and uh, it can kind of change your life. And that's kind of what it did for me. It was, you know, something I look, I look back on. I don't want to ever be back at that point again where, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I lost, uh, you know, I lost 60, 70 pounds to go to Rainier in a year. Um, and that's how many backpacks worth of, of gear that I lost. So you know, it was a, uh, it was a game changer for sure. And that's when I really started getting back into this whole 
I like to call it peak bagging things, you know, collecting my peak and collecting my mountains and stuff, you know? So. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, a lot of people kind of push, push off, you know, cause they don't have a, a clear cut goal set in front of them. And so they kind of put off, well, I can, I can always lose the weight. I can, I can always quit that. I can always get better at this, you know, whatever it might be. But as soon as you, as soon as you publish, as soon as you speak out into the world that you're going to do something, whether it's run a marathon or, you know, hike the John Muir trail or climb Rainier, and you've got this goal in front of you, there are, there are a certain set of, of things that you need to, to do to get yourself ready for that. And so I think that's an excellent strategy uh, to kind of, you know, set that tangible goal uh, in a, you know, reasonable distance away from you. So it allows you to prepare yourself and get ready to, to do it and get yourself into that position. Yeah. And I told everybody what my goal was. So they were my motivators too. That's you know, right. it's like, I'm going to go climb Rainier next year. And they're like, no, you're not. You're, there's no way you're going to do that. You know, it's not going to happen, you know? And, and it's because, you know, it's because, you know, the year before that I, I, I was, I was that size and I failed to get to the top of Mount Washington in New Hampshire because of my weight. I just couldn't do it. So they were like, I oh, didn't get Washington. You're not going to do it Rainier. And I was like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And, you know, sure, sure as hell I did. You know? yep. That is a crucial point right there you just made because you can whisper it to yourself all you want. And that is not a whole lot of pressure. But as soon as you tell other people, I'm going to do this, then yep. you, have, you have spoken it into existence. You have put the pressure on yourself and other people's eyes are now on you. So that's, that's an excellent strategy. No, that's exactly what I did. No. no. All right. Hey, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and pin you down here with an impromptu top five list. So right. you, you have, you have stood astride, uh, atop a number of peaks in your life. What, what are the top five peaks, top five experiences that you've had? If you could, if you could name those five peaks, top five peaks that you've, you've been on. Uh, Rainier for sure. I would say number one, just because it was literally the hardest thing I'd ever done. And in getting to that point, it had the most, the most memories to it. Um, How long was that hike? Um, distance wise? Yes. Um, I believe it's only, only around eight or 10 miles to the summit, but it's 8,000 feet. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it's not grueling by any means, but, you know, I'm not used to elevation. So, you know, I'm, I'm over, you know, 10,000 feet, 14,000 feet. I'm not used to the thin air. Um, you know, so it was, it was, it was, it was tough. It was something that was completely out of, out of any dream that I ever had. And I probably never would have done it if I wasn't invited, you know, so that really spurred it on. So it really has to be the number, number one on my list so far. So eight, eight or eight or 10 miles, but it was 8,000 feet of elevation gain. It's something like that. Um, I'm just going off of memory. I think it's like 4,000 feet from, from the start of the camp year and then another 4,000 at the top. That is yeah. brutal. That is brutal. Yeah. And you're right that, uh, you know, breathing at 14,000 feet is no joke. It is no joke for a, for an East coaster. Yeah. It's no joke. <laughs> no joke at all. Um, probably my second, one of my uh, seconds probably right up there is actually telescope peak, um, which is in death Valley. Um, going from the lowest point in the Continental 48 in the same day to the highest point in Death Valley, which is over 11,000 feet. 
So basically, you know, that's a pretty good day. Um, Heck yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that, that was a lot of fun. I mean, you're going from really nice and temperate and warm weather down below and we actually had snow when we got to the top at 11,000 feet. So that was, that was really cool. Nice. Um, yeah. And then <sighs> the Adirondack, probably, um, Haystack Mountain in Adirondacks is my favorite up here by far. Um, it's just, it's very unique. It's, it's extremely rocky. It's something like you would see in Colorado, kind of, kind of mountain. Um, not an easy day. It's a, it's a 16 mile round day, round trip day. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a brutal day. Um, Mount Katahdin in Maine, um, which is up in Baxter State Park. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to jump back over into Utah to Kings Peak you know, um, just because it was a, that was a three day outing, outstanding sunsets, cool people. We talked to so many people on this mountain and it's not, and then, and for me, it's, it's not like it's my favorite mountain. It's like a favorite experience kind of thing, because most of what makes the, the mountain is the trip getting to it. And, and that was just a fantastic fantastic trip um you know the we woke up the it was major forest fires in the area when we were over in king's peak and we woke up with our our tent was just covered in ash but the fire was over 100 miles away so the ash is just carrying and you couldn't see anything and i'm thinking to myself you're just not going to see anything this whole entire trip we just you know flew out here we're going to climb this mountain it's just going to be sucked in by smoke we're not going to be able to breathe and the next day we got up to climb the mountain we had this beautiful red sunrise and the skies were absolutely crystal clear so um something was in our favor and uh so yeah i would say that that's right there in the top five as well just because of the the experience of of that nice I thought you were going to tell me that the fifth one was going to be the the Nevada peak after the flat tire. <laughs> that would no. <laughs> no. Actually, it, actually, it was kind of cool. As we were on the, we were on the summit of uh, of um, we we're on the high point of um, New Mexico, and we ran into somebody that used to live in Lake Placid, which is one town over from where I live now. So that was that was very odd. And then we actually got to the summit. That was actually pretty cool too. We got to the summit. It was a bighorn sheep actually on the summit when, when we got there. And it never actually strayed from the summit much from there the whole time we were there. So we're sharing the, sharing the summit with a sheep. Nice. Yeah. Hedgehog and a sheep. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Not a, um, that sounds like a kid's book. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hedgehog, you know where we are? uh break number two no we're we're <laughs> at that point in the episode where i ask you for your pro tip inside of the week what do you have oh, for right. our listeners that's going to make their oh. next outdoor experience even better all right basically i'm going to say the most important thing that you can do is proper planning is 90 percent of the things that where everything goes wrong or you you miss something is because you haven't done the proper planning um, well, I'm, 
I, I love flying by the seat of my pants sometimes on these trips and just winging it. And, and I always do my research on my trips. Um, the day-to-day thing might be winging it where I'm going to camp at night and stuff. But, you know, as far as what's there and what I want to see and the gear I need to have and the, the what what's the weather going to be, all those things, your, your proper planning up to your trip is probably the most important thing that you can do. Um, getting yourself ready for not really the inevitable, but like the unexpected, um, you know, and you're never going to know it all. I mean, it's just one of those things you, you learn, you learn something new almost every time, but you get the proper planning from stage one. Um, you're, you're going to have a great trip for sure. You know, and double and double check your gear. Don't think you packed it because chances are you might not have, you know, Few times I've just I've driven you know an hour or two down the road go get out my snowshoes and they're still sitting in the garage. You learn never do that again, you know. Yep. So that's my be my tip is do 100% proper planning before you go, and uh, you know and basically in that planning, you know tell somebody where you're going, um, let them know what time you're going to be back, who you're with, where you're starting, give them a map as to what destination you're going to and the planned route you know just um just just imagine if just think of it as if you were somebody that was in search and rescue what you know what would why wouldn't you want to get rescued you know what why would you get rescued because oh i forgot my water i didn't bring a a, a, you know i didn't bring a something to start a fire if something happened you know all these little things just proper planning 100 percent yeah, a couple things on that. I will I will wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, first thing is I think that planning is half the fun. You know, doing your research and uh, laying out what you're going to bring and and what the route's going to be and all that fun stuff. That that's really half of the enjoyment that uh, I get into my trips. And the second part is you know you said tell somebody you know where you're going to go. You know, I've tried telling my wife, I've tried telling Mrs. Doc where I'm going to go and she doesn't want to know. She's just, hey, it's okay. I don't need to know. It's a surprise. You know, you get lost. I, I think, I'm starting to think she doesn't want to have to tell research or searchers where I'm going to be. So. <laughs> you must have good life insurance or something. <laughs> yeah, must. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So there you have it. That's it. Our bonus episode for season two is in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Hedgehog. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Hedgehog, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Um, at this point, I'm, I'm pretty much solely on Instagram. Um, so you can always find me there. I'm bearded bushwhacker there. That's just a random name that came up, not a trail name, but that's what, the, that's what I gave myself. <laughs> bearded bushwhacker. Very good. Yeah. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakymure at gmail.com. Hedgehog, also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail or to the outside adventure. What, uh, what do you have for us for an adventure media recommendation? Ah. Uh. You know, the one movie I saw recently was uh, Free Solo. I'm sure everybody has seen that. And that's just, I've seen it three times now. I just, I can't get enough of it. It's, it's, it's got humor. It's got like, 
on the edge. You, you know nothing's going to happen, but you're on the edge of your seat anyways. And it's just, this guy is freaking amazing. Exactly. It's like, that's my favorite, um, you know, favorite one um, as far as, as venture stuff. Um, one thing I, I do like to go and, and see every year um, is, uh, sorry, I just, I just went blank. Um, I apologize. I just totally, I just totally went blank on it. Uh, it was going to be a, it was going to be a smart ass one too. Oh man, <laughs> we missed out on a smart ass one. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, vertical uh, limit. That's the one. <laughs> vertical limit. Is that Sylvester Stallone? No, that's, uh, that's not Sylvester Stallone. It's a different one, but uh, yeah, that's like all those movies just crack me up. If you want a good time and you want to feel like you're like, you just want to laugh those are the movies. Those are, those are great. Those are good. Just sit down and chill and drink a beer kind of movies. So I can't never highly recommend those enough, you know, but uh, nice. yeah, just, it's just crazy. Very good. If you, like has, the, if you Visitors is in it, so it must not be that bad. Okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. If you like Hope Solo, have you ever seen uh, Don Wall? Um, I actually, I have it saved. I haven't watched it yet, but it's, did I, it's, did I say it's, Hope Solo? Free Solo. Hope Solo is a goalie for the women's national team. Never mind. Wow, where's your mind? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, Free Free Solo is, is yeah. the movie you recommended, not Hope Solo. Um, yeah. And there's a another climbing movie called The Dawn Wall, which is uh, about Tommy Caldwell and his partner trying to trying to uh, go up the Dawn Wall, a uh, route yeah. that he had never been climbed before. Really, really good. Yeah, that's on my, that's on my short list too. Yeah, nice. I, just, I don't, I don't watch a lot of movies. I spend my time in the woods, but, but yeah. Time well spent. Very good. Yeah. Hey, and before we wrap things up, I'm starting a new segment called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me about? Did we miss anything? Oh, I'm the guinea pig on this one, huh? Yeah. Um, no, I think we pretty much recovered quite a bit of stuff. I'm sure we'll, I'll think of something later, but, um, but, but no, it's, uh, I think we've, pretty much we've hit quite a bit of it okay. and uh, hopefully I'll make it out your way uh, sooner than later. All right. Very good. Well, let me know when you, when you're going to do Whitney, send me a message, yeah. but maybe I'll meet you out there. That'd be, that'd be sweet. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. That's going to be a, we're going to spend some time back there and, and camp on one of the lakes and just, you know, make a good few days of it for sure. You will not be disappointed. I'll, I'll bring the beer. Okay. Deal. IPAs. IPAs, not stouts. Yep. Okay. That's a wrap from the John Freaking Your Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family? Uh, shout out to all my friends and family. Um, I got a lot of hiking partners out there that go out with me all the time and I can't thank them enough for, you know, for keeping me company. Um, you know, I can't say thank you enough to my wife for, for Kareem for putting up with a lot of the peaks that I, that I do and all the time I spend in the woods. And, you know, I, got a buddy Jimbo he's done over 600 peaks with me so he's my frequent flyer and still good friends somehow I haven't figured it out I think it's because he was 29 years in corrections and he's a bigger wise ass than anybody I've ever met so but yeah big shout out to you know all my all the hiking partners I've had over the years and big thank you for them nice so you have to get Jimbo and the, and the boys to, to listen to the podcast then oh for sure okay yeah, I'll give him his hearing aid 
Very good. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're driving on a donut tire for 300 miles. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.